excited about this series, and the reason is because I really kind of pushed for it this year. We do several teaching series throughout the year, uh, kind of interspersed. When I mean teaching series, I mean it's a little bit more studious, it's a little bit more expository, it's a little bit more walking through a book. We do read your Bible and other things like that. Um, this one is going to be one of those series, just to let you know. We're going to be covering a great deal of ground, a great deal of scripture, and yet it will only be a tip of the iceberg of what's actually there. So we're really encouraging you uh, to make this a series that you're fully engaged with and that you are also reading, that you're also reading along and, uh, and studying as well. Um, I, took, I think I told you a couple weeks ago, uh, I, it took me a while, and I, this is your pastor admitting this to you, it took me a while to really appreciate the Old Testament. All right. It wasn't because I was just a New Testament kind of person. It's just that I really struggled with the Old Testament. I needed things to be done kind of chronologically in order for my simple mind to make sense of things. Um, matter of fact, it was when I got a chronological Bible for the first time. Uh, it was, you know, it was like a, I think it was a year long, wasn't it, Tracy? One of the first ones we had was a year read through it. And I just fell in love with it because it just made so much more sense, you know, just kind of reading in sort of the order in terms of time. Um, yet, even with all that said, I have all always loved the book we're going to be studying. Even when, I, even when I didn't appreciate the Old Testament and couldn't appreciate the fullness of the Old Testament, I always loved the book we're studying in this series. Let me give you some context for it. It is the first book of the Bible. It is the first book of the Torah, which is called, you know, kind of the, the Jewish term for the law, uh, the Pentateuch, um, the first five books of Moses, the first of the five books of Moses that they would call it. Um, again, the author, because of that, is Moses. At least that's um, kind of the general idea and understanding. I'll tell you why in a minute. Uh, it covers, the one book covers over 2,500 years of history for the Jewish people. It's 2,500 years. It's, it's, a, it's a ton it's 50-some chapters. I mean, it's a ton of, of, uh, of content there. Again, we're only going to hit the tip of the iceberg. Matter of fact, I made a quick timeline for you. For those of you who like these kind of things, right, good timelines. Um, for those who really like it and they want to argue with me over dates, don't, okay, because I, got, I decided there's a lot of arguments over dates. I decided to go with Answers in Genesis. It's a the group that we follow, and I really do enjoy the, the content there. I decided to use their dates, okay, so just, you know, you want to make an argument, write them an email, don't write me. All right, there's, this is the dates for them. We're going to be covering, again, kind of these, these markers, if you will, of the history of God's people, the origins of God's people. We're starting with God. We're starting with creation. Uh, but this is what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks together. Today, I just want to help you understand that the word Genesis really does mean origin or beginning. This is sort of the context of why we have that book called uh, Genesis, right? Moses is writing this down, writing the history, the origins, the beginnings of God's people. Okay, he's going to write Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's going, to take, it's going to take God's people from the beginning of all things to their point in history. Okay, to their point. It's going to take them through lineage and ancestry. It's going to take them through the law. It's going to take them through, the, the, through what we're going to read and all the way through the Exodus. Again, this is part of these first five books. Moses is doing this for God's people by the power of God in him. He was the only educated one in terms of we know that he was highly educated in the palace. 
And that up to this point, it would have just been oral tradition. It would have just been God's people passing stories down from generation to generation to generation, which is fine. Because a lot of what's written is done in that sort of same oratory fashion. And yet, we know by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the influence of God, Moses decides to make this a record, make this an account, a written account for God's people. For a slave nation that had just been freed and were going to God's promised land. That's the history and the context. Why does it matter, origins and beginnings? Well, it matters because it gives us depth to an understanding, okay? Depth to understanding is why origins matter. Matter of fact, I'm going to pick on her. I didn't know she was going to be in the service this week, but I'm going to pick on Whitney Higgins. She was in our office last week. Sorry, Whitney. She was in our office last week, and, we, and I just kind of heard some stuff, uh, you know, kind of in the hallway, and we have a lot of fun in our office and a lot of conversation. But I heard her. She was collecting uh, every person's couple story. Right? She was basically like, how did you guys meet? How did you get together? How did, you know, when did that happen? And I love telling our origin story. Maybe we'll do that again at some point. But um, Tracy and I have to do it together because I don't get it right, apparently. You know? um, so, you know, yeah, it's just, we all know how that goes. You know? so, but, but it's really interesting, right? So she's asking all these stories. Why? Is it because she doesn't know my name? Is it because she doesn't know me or Tracy? No, because understanding the origins, understanding the, the, the beginnings gives a rich and a depth to uh, who I am and who I am today, right? So this is important, not just for God's people. And this is what I want to make sure you see. As we go through Genesis, We have to know primarily who it's written to and written for, and yet, just because Jesus said it and because Paul emphasized it, we are now grafted into, okay, the body of God. We're grafted into the family of God, the chosen people of God, and so this becomes our origin story as well. Everybody with me? Okay, that's why it's so important. So we're just going to kick it off. I'm going to do, a, I'm telling you, I'm doing a lot of reading today, but I hope as we go along, I'm going to exposit as I go and just walk us through again why it matters. Okay? So if you're online, it'll be on screen. If you want to open up your Bible, we're covering the first few chapters. All right? I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. We're going to start here. These are the words. Every Hebrew child would have known these words early in their life, as early as they could speak, because they would have been common in the oral history passed down from generation to generation to generation. It's these four words. Let's read it together out loud. Ready? In the beginning, God. Let's read it one more time together. In the beginning, God. Genesis 1, at the beginning of the beginning of the beginning, right, is the beginning of all things, which is the in the beginning God. This is where the foundation of their history starts, and for us as well. In the beginning, God. Now, the first chapter is going to be the beginning of all things, but you can't get to the beginning of all things that we see and experience until you understand where the beginning begins, which is in the beginning, God. Okay? Keeps going. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. 
God called the light day and the darkness night, and evening passed and morning came, making the first day. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made the space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heaven. And God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. I'm going to pause here for just a minute because the rest of the account looks very much like this. I'm not going to read it all. You can read it on your own. Okay? I'm going to give you a quick summary. But I want to pause because I want you to see what's similar about this. And I want, you to, I want you to sort of take a breath, if you will, from all the arguments and conversations and skepticism that you may have had to experience when it comes to creation, all right, when it comes to creation. Most of the conversation around creation is either science or the Bible, right? It's either what science says or it's what the Bible says. And I just want you to know that is such a boatload of malarkey, okay? It is, all right? It has, pitting these two things against each other doesn't make any sense at all, okay? Because science has been created, has been, was created by God. The understanding of things, the way to understand things, is, it was given to us by him. So science in and of itself is a part of creation, and science, in terms of the understanding of things, continues to evolve as, I mean, we're talking about thousands of years of history. You know, one time everybody thought the earth was flat. Hello, right? You know, were scientists right? No. And so we have to look at this and say, it's really not this kind of constant argument of science versus the Bible. It goes together beautifully. And again, if you're one of those people who struggle with that, I'd love to just have some conversation with you. All right. The only problem science, the only time science becomes a problem is when you try to remove God from the beginning, okay? If it's in the beginning God, then science is a wonderful thing. Science tells us how God did it. Isn't that amazing? Anytime I see something that science proclaims, I go, that's amazing, right? How did God know that the atom had something inside of the atom, right? How did, I mean, God knew. We didn't know. Isn't that crazy? The only time science is a problem is when we try to remove God from it, okay? I don't go to the Bible looking for, you know, <laughs> the explanation of gravity and how it works. That was given to us by God. We have the ability to figure those things out and so much more. Thank God for science and breakthroughs. That's all from God. It's in the beginning there was God, and that's only, it's the only time it becomes an issue, all right? Here's the way I like to tell it to people. God didn't tell us how he did it. If you read all of chapter one, God told us that he did it. Okay? That's what was the, that was the impetus of Genesis one. It wasn't how he separated, you know, the molecules of the atmosphere to the sea and the thing and how, how water rises. I'm not even good at this, right? How water goes into the atmosphere and clouds. He, does, he doesn't go on to explain that. He doesn't tell us how he did it. He just tells us that he did it, that he was the one who did it. And there's a lot of theories when it comes to this, right? You can, you can be a follower of Christ and lots of, lots of, I mean, I've talked to great followers of Jesus that have wonderful approaches to understanding new earth theories and old earth, new and young earth theories and old earth theories and gap theories. Apparently I didn't know this, but I am kind of a half gap, uh, half old earth uh, uh, person who approaches creationism. 
That's how I, that's me. And that'd be an interesting conversation with you at some point, but it's, a, it's, a, it's just how I believe there's a gap between verse one and two in terms of time. There's uh, also in terms of how God created things. I believe he created everything with age. I believe he created everything with age built in. As we continue to discover things, I don't look at that as the only format. I look at it from the standpoint of in the beginning, God created, and this is how he created it. So there's lots of, there's relative time theories, there's parts of, uh, of evolution that are a part of some of the creation story um, that you cannot deny in terms of that. Now, it's not Darwinism, it's evolution, there's parts of evolution, there's elements of the Big Bang, which I, I kind of laugh every time it talks about the Big Bang, I'm just like, that's my theory too, like something was, it wasn't there and then all of a sudden it was. Read Genesis 1, it sure sounds like that to me, right? However, with order, <laughs> So here's the things I want you to see in, ch- in chapter one as you read it. Here's, why, here's what God did. He didn't tell us how he did it. He tells us that he did it. And these are the four common things. God said, blank. That's what happened. God gave reason and order, meaning that he gave a purpose why it was that way. He gave it a name. He gave it reason and order. And he said it was good. Okay, go down through the rest of the days. You know, he creates the, 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 the dry earth, the, the vegetation, the sea. He creates the sun, moon, and stars. What did he do? He said it. It happened. Right? He gave reason and order for it, and it was good. The animals and the bird, you know, the birds and the sea and the, and the sky and the, the sea, animals on the land and man. And then he creates rest. Rest didn't exist before this point as far as in terms of mankind. He creates rest, and he calls it holy, and he sets it apart. This is Genesis 1. This is the origin of everything. Origin of everything says in the beginning, God, God created. He didn't tell us how he did it. He just told us that he did it. And it's for us to be able to see and understand to the degree in which it's written. Now, again, we have so much more understanding now that God gave us the ability to understand. When it comes to scripture, this is what we have. This is what Moses wrote down. This is, the, this is what he wanted the, the people, the nation of God, to remember for all time that God did this, that all things began with him, and that he created it all. Now, if you jump into chapter 2, it comes. sometimes people will go, well, why, isn't, why isn't this written in a concise sort of you know, he didn't use colons properly. Y'all with me? Okay. So like, why isn't this written this way with explanations as we go? Why is it this? And why is it, you know, phrased differently in chapter two than it is in chapter one? Is that two authors? No. Okay. It's, it's, it's called summarizations. It's called, you know, a category of understanding. And then the next category of understanding, I call it the origins of the reason and order for man. God gave reason and order to everything, but Moses decides that it's important that God's people know a little bit more detail into the reason and order of man. So we start in chapter 2. It says, this is the account of creation of the heavens and the earth when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Neither wild plants nor, uh, nor grains were growing on the earth, for the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there was no people to cultivate the soil. So instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. 
Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man that he made. Now, the next few verses just give some geographical understanding of the rivers and kind of where gold was and where certain things was. I mean, it's just, it's just a picture of this garden that God made, this paradise, this, this place for man. But it goes on in 15 and says, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. To tend and to watch over it. Keep going. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are, read the three words out loud, you are sure to die. Okay. Man's created with purpose and design. He's placed in this garden. God creates a garden in the midst of everything else he's created. He's given a job to do, and he's given one rule. Wouldn't it be great? Just think about life for a minute with one rule. Kids, think about it. One rule, not 10, right? Not 600. One rule. One rule. Don't, you can have everything you want except this one thing, okay? We all know how that turns out, but we're not going to rush there too quickly, okay? You can have everything you want. Before we get there, I want you to see that when he gives these details, when he gives this, this reason and order to man, to mankind, there is a part of the story that he decides to, to make sure that we know, and I call this the origins of the completion of mankind. Because Moses wants us to know, God wanted us to know, this story in a story format from the standpoint of man, there was a point at which man was not complete. goes on to say this. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now, this is, not, this is not a whoops moment for God, okay? So just remember, we have to read this in the context it was written. This is, not, this is written for our benefit, not for God to explain himself. He does not need to explain himself. This is not, I forgot to make something. Let me go back to the drawing board. This is in the story format for us. It's to help us understand that man wasn't designed, to be alone. So it goes on to say the Lord formed the ground and the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them because that was part of Adam's job is to name all the animals. And the, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals and yet there was still no helper just right for him. Don't get lost in the words some feminists do. It, the helper aspect of things is just the way in which it's described as a perfect match, right? A partner. We would use the word partner as a better uh, phrase. But I want you to understand it's so much more than that because, you know, man was incomplete on his own in terms of God's perspective and needed that other part. You know, God wanted, he's like, it's not good for man to be alone. Let's have the other part. And he, he made everything else with parts, Let's have that other part. So it goes on to say, Lord God caused the man to fall to sleep, deep sleep. The man slept and the Lord took one of the man's ribs out and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. 
And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. You'll see this repeated in the New Testament. Jesus will repeat it. Paul will repeat it as this perfect picture of creation in terms of they were created to be one, right? They were created to be one. It's man and it's woman, and there was something about that that was special in creation. Matter of fact, in Genesis 1, again, Genesis 1 says that, that they were created in the image of God. Both man, male and female were created in the image of God. Different in role and function, equal in value and worth. You guys with me? This is, this is what it looks like. And he goes on to say this. Now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Just picture it, can you? Right? There were no dad bods, right? (laughs) Women weren't worried about the fig leaves making their hips look too big. I want you to picture a toddler. Picture that toddler that when you take the diaper off and they just streak through the house, (laughs) right? This is the kind of innocence that happens in paradise. This is the kind of beautiful, beautiful picture that he wants to give us that that there there was nakedness with no shame, that's the, I mean, I want you to get that wording. This is the origin of the completion of the reason and order for man, for us, for the beginnings of our story. And then this is where the story would take a turn. You hear the music, you know, dun, 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 right? Especially in the context of how Moses is writing this. And how probably the people of God would have maybe even heard this in an oratory fashion throughout their history. The origins of sin. Go to, the, go to the scripture. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, the serpent asked the woman, did God really say, you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? There's a question. And... The woman says, of course we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. The one rule, right? That we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. Don't even look at it, right? You know, y'all get get the feeling here? If you do, you will die. And the serpent says, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and that you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, I want you to just pause here for a minute, because you need to understand, the reason this is written this way is because Moses, God through Moses, is wanting you to hear the truth that the enemy, because we, we understand from a broader context that the serpent itself, physical serpent, representation of Satan, the enemy, that is all happening here. Again, doesn't explain how it's happening here. It's just that it's happening here. Is that the dece- when the deceiver comes, he doesn't come with, with lies. He comes with truth twisted to deceive you. Everybody with me? That's how it comes. There's nothing, I'm going to say technically, there's technically nothing actually wrong with what the serpent is saying because it's got all little threads of truth in it, but it's twisted to deceive, to lie, 
But the woman says, well, she, well, she was convinced. She had sort of made up her mind. She saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her. He wasn't off building the ark or anything else weird, right? He wasn't off doing his thing. He's with her in that moment, and he ate it too. In that moment, this was all true. Their eyes were opened, but they suddenly felt shame in their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. There's a lot of philosophical debates that happen in this moment especially when it comes to the origins of sin. Was sin present in the garden? Was sin present in paradise? Was sin present in just the serpent? Or was sin present in Eve, in the woman? Okay, There's a lot of chicken and egg kind of conversations that happen here, and I can't get into all of that today. But here's what I want you to, to see and recognize because it's important to understand for our origin story that even when we... Even when we only knew God, we were created in such a way that we could still choose something else other than him. Everybody with me? Even when we only knew God, that's it. He was the default. Even when there was no knowledge of good and evil, even when we only knew God, we were still created with the free will, with the ability to choose him or us. And when it says that the woman was convinced, it's, it's a moment in time in which you understand that's when it happened. That's when it happened, that she decided to choose her and the wisdom it would give her rather than follow God's way, rather than do what God had told him to do, the one thing that God told him to do. And there's a devastating fallout that, again, this is really important for us to understand, that it was, it was there, the ability to choose him. And this, and this is the reason I say that is because you need to understand the power that comes with the free will of man. Okay? Because God created us in such a way that even when, we, when, when our options were still there, he still gave us the choice which only intensifies the importance of why it is and how it is we choose him. Choose to love him. Choose to serve him. Choose to surrender our lives to him. Here's the consequences that come. I call this the origins of what sin, by the actions of sin, does to us. Personal. Personal. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking around the garden, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord called out to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking around in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. I think immediately God responded and said, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Did you do the one thing I told you not to do? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit. And I ate it. Okay, that's a big deal. We're coming back to that. All right. 
God looks at her. Lord asked the woman, what have you done? Well, the serpent deceived me. You know how all these things are actually true, right? The serpent deceived me, she replied, and that's why I ate it. I want you to see these three things just because it helps us again in our understanding of our origin story that these three things happen personally because of sin in our life, because of the actions we make. Shame, guilt, and broken relationships. These are the consequences of sin. To you and to me in terms of personally, in terms of our actions, in terms of when we choose us rather than choosing God, when we choose our way rather than choosing his way, right? Shame happens when, you be, when your eyes are opened. And the reality is, is that you cannot unknow something when you know something. Right? This is why God told them, if you eat from the tree, you will die. There will be something. There will be an innocence that dies. There's other death coming. But there's an innocence that dies because you cannot unknow something that now you know. And because of that, shame exists. Shame exists in us. Shame exists in our culture because shame's a big deal. People use it to manipulate one another. And guys, the enemy still uses it to this day to manipulate us in our sin. Guilt, this is all the blame game, right? Because when we feel and sense guilt, every single one of us has the natural reaction to blame someone else and to justify our actions, to justify our decision. Well, yeah, but he said this, and that's why I did it, and that's it. And woman, God, you're the, you know, you made something, she's not working right, you know? Like, like, God, it's your fault. Can you imagine blaming God in that moment? But that's what guilt does. You know, you, you know, it's your fault. It's the woman you gave me. And she, and that's the only reason I ate it. She gave it to me. The serpent deceived me. There's all this. This is, the, this is what guilt does. Creates the blame game. Creates this opportunity for us to try to justify us. Justify the choices we make. Broken relationships is always the result. Broken relationships are always a result. Think about, think about for the hundreds of years that Adam and Eve would walk this earth, what those, that, that simple conversation would have constantly come up in their marriage. Okay? You blamed him. You blamed me. It's your fault. It's not my fault. The serpent made me. It breaks relationships. And most importantly, this is where we see it broke the relationship it put a break in the relationship between God and man. Prior to this, imagine God is walking through the garden together with his creation. I don't even know what that looks like. I can't even fathom what that would be like. But that was the closeness. That was the personal relationship that God had with us. And it was broken because of those actions. Let's keep going. This is what I call the origins of what sin does to everyone. But I want you to understand it becomes, it, it goes from being just an action because of the nature of how this is going to happen. It goes from an action to a state and it remains both of those things. Sin from this point forward is not just a personal decision that's made. It's a state. It's a cancer. It's a presence. It's, a, it's something that always now is, at least for our timeline. It becomes a state, and it affects everything, and it affects everyone. The Lord God said to the serpent, 
Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as you live. And the Lord would cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now, this is so much bigger than the moment. We know this from the context of Scripture. But the only reason Moses is even writing this down is through the inspiration of God to say there's so much more happening here in this moment. There's a curse of the animal that does happen. There's a, there's a bigger curse that comes to the enemy of our souls to what's going to happen with Jesus in terms of the enmity that's put between the offspring. And that's why Moses is saying this is the beginning of prophecy that you don't understand yet, but the world will witness. The world will witness. And you may strike his heel, but he's going to crush your head. He goes on to say, And he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain in your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. She hadn't had children yet. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Just pause here for a minute. We all understand the whole childbirth thing in terms of of that there's pain involved, right? Except for, you know, whoever created the epidural, right? You're all thankful for science today, right? Am I right? Thank God for science. But you have to understand there is an element of this that the curse that comes is part of God's blessing to Adam and Eve to say, you know, this being fruitful and multiply is going to come with a price. It's going to come with pain. You know, the most fulfilling thing for you, the thing that's going to bring you the most joy is now also going to bring you the most pain. And then he's, and then this part just continues to, to just, I wrap my mind around the fact that your desire will be to control him. Your desire will be to control him but he's going to rule over you. That God, for whatever reason, this part of this curse is going to be, there's going to be constant tension in the relationships between men and women from this point forward and throughout history because of this curse. And it doesn't matter how woke your culture gets, we're going to experience the pain of this because of this curse. The state of sin affects everyone from this point forward. For the man, he says, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. Your life will struggle. You will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, through you though you will eat of its grains. Again, pro- something you need, but there's going to be problems with it. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made for for you were made from dust and to dust you will return man i just want you to hear me it will always be harder than it should be that is the curse that is the state of sin in our lives it will always be harder than it should be 
There will be something in your mind, because it's part of the curse that God gave man, that you feel like it shouldn't be this hard. It should not constantly be this sort of hamster in the wheel having to constantly turn to make things happen, and yet that is part of the origin of our story and the origin of sin in our life. It's always going to be by the sweat of our brow. It's always going to be harder than it should be. And regardless of what you think you capture, regardless of how big your empire becomes, it's all going to end in dust. And that is what we've experienced throughout history. The curse. The curse of sin in terms of the big picture between the enemy and God throughout the work of of all that Moses is going to write. The curse for the woman. The curse for the man. There's consequences to our decisions, whether it's personal, there's personal consequences to our decisions and actions, and there is just global, universal consequences to the origins of sin in our story. Which is why we need Jesus. It's the only solution. Matter of fact, I use this phrase, Pastor Don teaches this in our growth track, which by the way, I don't know, did we talk about growth track already? No, growth track's coming up at the end of the month, make sure you register for growth track. Okay, Pastor Don teaches this in growth track in one of our modules, and, and this is such an important phrase, I wanted to use it specifically. That Jesus of the New Testament is the answer to the curse in the Genesis of the Old Testament. Guys, if you struggle with the generation, you know, the Genesis story, if you struggle with the origin story of your faith, of the people of God, and you don't really grasp the creation and that in the beginning was God, and you don't seem to grasp the understanding of Adam and Eve and the, and the paradise and innocence that was lost because of sin, and now the state of sin and the consequences of sin that do affect you, the question then becomes, why do you need Jesus? You don't. And there are too many people in churches, okay, there's too many people in the fringe of Christianity that for whatever reason, they like the benefits of faith, but they don't buy the Genesis story. They don't really believe the origins. And without really understanding and believing and embracing the origins, there is no need for Jesus Christ. There is no need for salvation. There is no need for an answer to a problem if there is no problem. The origins matter. This part of our story matters. And then, I'm going to end this quickly. From this point forward, Scripture has a divide in it. This is where Scripture is divided. Not between Old Testament and New Testament. This is where it really is divided. We begin to see the origins of God's grace and the consequences of sin. Both at the same time. It goes on to say to the man that the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. By the way, this is after the curse. Just want everybody to know. There have never been any perfect children. You can just go ahead and know that right now. Everybody with me? She would, be the, she would be the mother. No children born before this point. She would be the mother. There'd be no perfect children, regardless of how cute your little angels are. But here's where it says, the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. 
And I'm not going to get into the philosophical debate of whether animals were killed beforehand and there's lots of Genesis and paradise pictures of lambs and lions playing games together and I actually don't believe that's true. I think there was an order to how he created things in the ecosystem that God created. But there is such a thing in this moment where God has to kill animals to cover sin and to cover the shame, to cover the guilt and to make coverings for Adam and Eve. And this is where scripture is divided here because all that Moses is going to write to them to help them understand the law, to help them understand sacrifice, to help them understand what points back to this moment is when God's grace entered the picture. He did not just wipe them out and start over. There was grace given to Adam and Eve in that moment, even though they were going to experience the consequences of sin. And he kills an animal to make coverings for them. And the Old Testament would point back to this moment and Jesus, and it would point to Jesus in terms of the bigger picture of sacrifice, that Jesus would be once and for all the sacrifice needed to be the solution to the curse in Genesis. And they get evicted. Part of this I can't read for you, but I just want to, the only reason I want to tell you this is because Remember, remember when I said the serpent wasn't lying? Everybody with me? If you read the next two verses, I'm going to t- challenge you to read it on your own. But the next two verses brings to light the fact that if Adam and Eve had been allowed to remain in the garden, they wouldn't die. Their eyes were opened. They would be like God. This is, these are all phrases that God uses. They would be like God. They knew right and wrong. They knew good and evil. And if they continued to have access to the tree of life, they wouldn't die. Which meant the serpent wasn't really lying, technically. You got with me? And so they're evicted from the garden. An angel and a cherub and a flaming sword, it's a really cool story, now guards that garden and you begin to see through the rest of, through the continuation of the story between Cain and Abel and the children of Adam and Eve and, and where sin st- now exists and the consequences of sin as devastating as they are. And yet you will also see as you continue to read the story, the grace of God. God was still present. God still wanted to continue the relationship with us, which is just beautiful. It's beautiful. That even in that moment, right there, God continues the story. We're going to pick up, because if you think that that things are bad now, we're going to tell you how bad things actually got at one point in our history. We're going to continue that next week. But just starting this week, begin to read and begin to look and begin to start embracing and understanding how this origin story matters to you, matters to your faith. Not just from from a knowledge standpoint of history, but but from a personal standpoint of why we need Jesus, why he is truly the answer to the curse in the Genesis. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for the way in which you reveal truth to us. Uh, You know, we can have opinions about what we'd love to have read in the beginning of time. We would have loved to have known how you did certain things and for you to explain, you know, the scientific things so we could have an argument for everything with the, 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 the skeptical culture that we live in. But God, you didn't do that. You didn't feel the need to explain yourself. 
God, give us the faith and the reasoning to understand why it was written the way it was, our origin story and the origin story of everything and why it matters to us. Because it's then that we get a deeper, richer appreciation for our Savior. A full picture and understanding of man and woman. A better understanding for why things are broken and why, God, your grace is still evident in the midst of it. God, we thank you. We pray in all of your name, Jesus. Amen.